0: Hello, hello, and welcome to the new season of Artist Avenue Podcast. I am super excited to share this new season with you, and this season is kind of special because it's being produced in China. That's right, I have moved to China for a performing contract to work with Universal Studios in Beijing. Due to performances and rehearsal schedules here in Beijing, I have decided to keep this season open-ended for now, meaning that there will be no set release day each week. This also gives me more flexibility to sit down and talk to creatives whenever the opportunity arises. To kick off Season 4, we have the wonderful Madeline Corliss. Madeline is an actor, shamanic energy healer and somatic-based coach. She's performed in New York City and across the USA in roles such as Roxy Hart in Chicago and Amber in Hairspray. She was also a semi-finalist in Broadway.com's The Search for Roxy. When Madeline is not performing or auditioning, she runs her company called The Energy Studio, which specializes in working with creative individuals to help them unblock their creative careers through realigning and re-strengthening their intuition and energetic system. A little fun fact, she's also a cat mom and lover of campfires. Please keep in mind that due to the distance between the USA and Switzerland, this episode was recorded remotely via Zoom. As I always say, for a podcast, it's content over technological genius. So without further ado, let's dive straight into Madeline's unique and individual journey through the creative arts. Season four, here we go. Hello. (laughs) How are you? Yeah, I'm so excited to do this. This is great. So why don't we dive straight in? Tell us a bit about who you are, what you do, and where you're from.
1: So I'm Madeline Corliss. I am from Massachusetts, but I live in New York City, and I am the creator and founder of The Energy Studio, which is uh, predominantly for uh, performers and entrepreneurs, and I do shamanic energy healing as well as life coaching, and um, I'm currently training as a somatic therapist as well, and then I'm also an actor and a performer, and uh, that's kind of how I got started because I was performing... Uh, you know, living the New York City life and really burnt out and realized that there had to be better ways to take care of ourselves as we pursue what we love and figuring out how do we pursue what we love without completely burning our bodies out and just like destroying the other part of our lives, which is equally important, right? So that's who I am. That's what I do.
0: And that's a wonderful mixture. And I can't (laughs) wait to talk about everything today. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So if I were to ask you to take us back to the beginning of your journey, your once upon a time, as I like to call it, where would that take us to? What does that look like?
1: Oh my goodness. Um, I was in third grade. So in third grade, I my dad got a job in the British Virgin Islands. So my mom and I went with him. And third grade, happened to be the year at my elementary school that you could do the musical for the first time and I just like had no idea what a musical was like I watched Mary Poppins and Sound of Music so many times that the tapes literally broke Um, but it never occurred to me that like people do that like it just seemed like a different world and so um, I came back from the British Virgin Islands for a week and I saw my best friend in elementary school in the Wizard of Oz at our elementary school and I was like well, that looks fun like i want to do that next year and then that summer i saw the like community theater production of footloose and i remember during mama says i saw somebody do a backflip on stage and i was like i want to do that like that <laughs> is it. that's the thing and um and so i just started doing community theater and then in seventh grade so i i was never that kid that was like i want to be an astronaut i was i was like i have no idea what i want to do um And in seventh grade, I saw a friend's sibling in a summer program at this high school called Walnut Hill. And um, Walnut Hill is a boarding arts high school in Massachusetts. And I, it something just dropped where I was like, oh my God, people do this for a living. Like, this is a job. And I was like, and that's what I want to do. So I ended up going to Walnut Hill, went to school for theater, did all the things. But that was really the like, oh this is the only thing that's ever felt right. Cool, let's do it. So that would be my my once upon a time, if you will.
0: Thank God for that backflip.
1: Truly, <laughs> really, like, I don't even know who it was. And like, I, I could probably figure out who it was, but like, I just remember sitting there in the audience seeing that backflip being like, holy cow, I wanna do that.
0: <laughs> Question is, can you actually do a backflip by now? Absolutely not, no.
1: <laughs> I've never done a backflip. <laughs> I've done a back handspring. That's the closest, but like, that's no. pretty cool still. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, uh, I think I've done maybe two successfully in my life. All the other ones, I just ended up on my head, but it's fine. Two is better than zero. <laughs> <It's two.
0: laughs> so then, um, did you go and undertake any training for musical theater?
1: Yes. So I trained a lot from really from when I started doing musicals in fourth grade on, it was like, this is what I do with all my time. So I went to Walnut Hill, which uh, we had academics from eight to three, and then we had arts classes from three to six, and then we had rehearsal from seven to 10. So like I spent four years, my like high school years was really training. Like we didn't have football games, like we didn't do that. Um, the closest we had was crutch ball, where we would take one of the ballet dancers crutches and play baseball with it between <laughs> the <threes. laughs> Um That was like our athletics. So I did that, and then I went to Syracuse University and got a BFA in musical theater. um, And I was always doing, like, summer programs and summer stock. I just was, like, nonstop for really, like, 12 years before I got to New York, which I look back and I'm like, wow, I could have had much more of a life. But, like, that's what I wanted to be doing at that time. So yeah, good for a 14-year-old Madeline. You did that, (laughs)
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah. And if it's your passion and what you're interested in, then that is your life. And that's the beauty of it. And how did your journey evolve then after studying?
1: So I moved to New York when I was 22 and I immediately sprained my ankle. So like that was a setback. And like, because of that, I, so I moved in January with, uh, I did my last semester of college in New York city. So I got here literally in an audition on Count three, I think, or maybe four. It was like one, two, three, four. I was down on the ground. And that eliminated me from a lot of summer stock things. And I was very upset about it. I, right when I graduated, I did a workshop of a show and then I had nothing. And I was like, I am here in the summer. All my friends are off doing summer stock, which I didn't get because I was injured. And then some friends of mine from school were doing um, a 15th anniversary production of Urine Town, the musical off Broadway. And my roommate was choreographing it. And he said, will you please come be my dance captain? And I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so right after graduating, I made my off broadway debut, which was just incredible. And to do it with friends was like really special. Um, and then after that, I really was, I ended up booking a bunch of things like right back to back. And uh, I was still non-union. I know it's different around the world, but in America, there's a, Pretty distinct difference between union and non-union, not talent wise, uh, more like pay grade and the amount of opportunities that are there for you. So I was non-union and I was working pretty consistently. And then I went, I did a show in New Hampshire and I always say Spamalot's the show that I hate doing and that always saves me. Um, I've done Spamalot twice. I always leave feeling like I want to better my craft. Like I want to be better at what I do. But part of that is because I'm like, I don't want to do this show again. (laughs) Uh, Because as a female in that show, I'm a very intellectual person. And so as a female in that show, you really are just like moving sets and like you yourself are the set. And like pretty pictures. And for some people, that's like all they want to do in the world and thank God for them because we need those people. Um, but I am not one of them. And so I did spam lot in the middle of nowhere, New Hampshire, and it was a glorious three weeks. I lived in a cabin with like literally a horse pasture or a horse field. Like we would open the windows in the morning of this cabin door that didn't even have a lock on it. Like that's how much we were in the middle of nowhere. And you'd open the doors and there'd just be like horses and mountains. And it was so nice um, I feel like I'm giving you the long version, but it's worth it. It's worth it in the end.
0: I want the long I, version.
1: <laughs> so I I spent these three weeks in New Hampshire and met some really incredible people and just was was so inspired to get better. And so I, um, I got back to New York and was like, I want to learn how to do dialects. I want to learn how to, like, I really want to be a better actor because I'd spent a lot of these things that I was booking. I was understudying the leads, but I was primarily in the ensemble but i got back to new york and a friend of mine had mentioned an acting studio that she had started taking class with and i was like i need to do that so uh, i found my acting coach ken shots who i've been working with since and he really started to open me up emotionally in a way that i didn't realize i needed but simultaneously i got really sick and Uh, So here I am like opening up all these emotional things for myself and then also getting really sick. And it just so happened that somebody who was in that class also started talking about like energetic work. And I was like, I'm really curious about this and I have no idea what it is, but like, I want to be her friend. Um, She's now my neighbor Um, (laughs) and we're good friends. But um, so I, I had this illness for like six months. And I was on all these drugs and no one could figure out what it was. They were like, maybe it's just allergies. And I was like, I'm developing asthma. This is not allergies. And I started thinking that maybe something else was going on like in my energetic field. um, Cause I was like, well, it's not my immune system. Like my immune system would have shifted by now. So simultaneously, I was like, I've never been to Europe and I wanted to do a trip to Europe. And while I was in Paris, said friend from acting class was like I know an energy healer in Paris you should go see her this energy healer from Paris happened to also be an actor from New York but who lived in Paris like had grown up in Paris and moved back home so I did an energy healing and I was like this is it like this I I totally get this and I want to do this and within 2 weeks after that energy healing all my symptoms were gone There's something about having to focus on, or your body making you focus on taking care of yourself and your energetic and mental wellness um, that one is just brutal when you get to that point. But I came back and I was just getting callback after callback. And it was like, oh, that's the thing that switched. Because right before that I had stopped booking. Um, I had also just joined the union. Like I'd kept out on points. I'd been eligible for two years. And I was like, it's time, I need to. And as soon as I started doing energetic healing work, and like studying how to do it for other people. Just like things started happening in my career in a way that I had never experienced before. Like I was always the person who, like I was the poster child for hustle mentality. Like I was at every audition and I remember there was a photo somewhere of me on Instagram at a Syracuse alumni thing being like, I went to seven auditions today. And I look back at that and I'm like, you are crazy. Like. Don't go to seven auditions, that's insane. And like, I wonder why I was sick, hello. And all of a sudden I didn't have the energy and I also didn't have the desire to to hustle in that way. I was like, there has to be a different way. That's when like big things started happening for me. That's my story. I'm gonna stop there. (laughs) I feel like that was a whole monologue. Thank you for coming to my one act play.
0: (laughs) I loved it, I would listen to it all the time. But no, that's very, very interesting. And we will get back to all the energy healing things in a bit. Um, But then how, I know you did the search for Roxy as well. And I was interested to see how that experience was for you and what you learned out of it.
1: Yeah. So, okay. So I've done Chicago three times. Um, It was my first professional show. Uh, as a principal character, I played Velma, and then I played Velma again a few years later, and then I did it. Uh, I have a whole insane story. um uh, It's Act Two of my one woman show that I don't have a one woman show. You'll <laughs> um, have uh, one soon, <laughs> probably. So I I uh, had worked at Arkansas Rep before, and they called me two weeks before they started rehearsals, and they said, "Hey." Would you be willing to come out and play June and then understudy Roxy and Velma and I was like yep let's go, and so two weeks later I was on a plane I was in Arkansas and um, 48 hours before we were supposed to have our first preview our Roxy broke her foot like at the end of tech and i was like all right here we go i picked up my giant script i'm one of those people that like everything's color coded everything is highlighted i have everything written down and at 1am our stage manager who i'd worked with before uh knocked on my door and was like all right you are opening as roxy what do you need because from here on out we are going to make it so that you are ready to open we will figure tech out and i was like what a blessing um so i had just done Roxy. And our original Roxy ended up coming back two weeks in. So I played both Roxy and June and covered Velma. So at one point I was doing like publicity at 5 a.m., taking a nap, going to understudy rehearsal at one, going and eating dinner and performing Roxy at night. Like my life was insane, but I loved every freaking minute of it. It was amazing. So I had just done that. I came back, got super depressed and really was like, all right, that summer, the summer after that, I was like, I'm not perform like I'm not going to push myself I was like I have never really let myself just like explore I've been doing a lot of healing work but I never let myself feel the like really heavy things I'd always push them away and a friend of mine was like it's okay to give yourself time to do that and the reason I felt safe doing that is because I had just seen her do the same thing and she was like do you remember when I was in that like depressive episode. And and then she was like, when I started to come out of it and it was time, she booked like six film gigs in three months. Like she booked nonstop. And I was like, okay, that is my reminder. I call them baby blanket reminders of like the things that soothe us when we're scared.
0: Mm-hmm. I was like,
1: that's my baby blanket reminder that I can take three months to just focus on myself and then things will happen. And sure enough, um, so I took that whole summer to just like, cry in my living room and watch the office and like get myself to be okay Uh, and then i they announced they were doing the search for roxy and my entire acting studio had seen me work on it because i'd been working on it for the, the show all of a sudden my inbox was just flooded. Like before I even saw anybody else post about it, I, my emails, my text messages, all of the social media messages were like, they're doing this, you have to do it, you have to do it. And I was like, I don't know, like this is a gimmick, like this is whatever, I don't know. And then I went into acting class and I was like, Ken, I think I'm just gonna make a video. And he looked at me and goes, so are we doing this? And I was like, okay, we're doing this. And And like he had known that I had been depressed and kind of just like working through it. And I was like, yep, okay, we're going all in, we're doing this. So I worked on the material and like just refreshed it for myself for a few weeks because they they had, so they had one deadline and I think it was like three weeks out from when they announced it. So I took the three weeks to work on stuff and I recorded my video like last minute. <laughs> and then, um, and I remember I was like, I don't like my take of Hot Honey Rag. I was like, I can do that better. And then they announced that Friday, like the day before it was due, that they were extending the deadline by a week. And I was going on vacation that weekend, it was a long weekend. So I went on my long weekend vacation. And then on Monday, I went back to the studio and I uh rehearsed hot honey rag a little bit. I like nitpicked myself, re-recorded it, and was like, okay, I can send it in. So I did that. And then I really forgot about it. I was like, whatever. I'm like finally in a place where I'm auditioning again and I'm, you know, going to voice lessons again. And life kind of just started to go move on i so there's this dance teacher here in new york his name is billy griffin i adore billy he's actually was a guest on my podcast um that he was with the first guest i had on the second season because he is one of the most grounded and mentally supportive teachers that i found in new york city and he incorporates like meditation into his class and just like being present and enjoying moving and there was one I think it was like a Wednesday where I was like, I need some Billy Griffin. So I went to his dance class and we're in like this basement studio with like no natural light and no phone service. And so I go do this class and I leave just feeling on top of the world. I'm like right next to Times Square, walk out of the building, get service on my phone, look at my phone. And it says, congratulations, search for Roxy, final 10. And I was like, Wait, what? And so I read it again and I, before I even read the email, I like called my dad, didn't answer, call my mom, didn't answer. And I was like, what is wrong with everybody? I was like, I have big news and I can't say it out loud to the whole Times Square um, because they were like, please don't uh, say this to anybody. We are announcing it on this date. So I was like, I can't say anything. I had to sign an NDA. And then finally the person I was dating at the time called me back and I was like, you're the only person in my life who cares. I <laughs> know. And I was like, I'm in the final 10. And um, and so from there, um, I just kept working on it. So I'm one of those people that as soon as I know that I could possibly have a callback for something, I am like with my coaches and I am rehearsing all the time. I'm definitely like a hyper focuser. And I started just working on the Roxy material because I was like, I don't know the steps of this. I don't know the process. But I was like, if it gets to a point where I am in the room with those producers, you bet your ass I'm going to be on top of my game. And so then from there, it was uh, really like a social media thing. It was votes to get votes. And I asked people to vote. I, I I made little printouts and put them on all my neighbor's doors being like, I know you hear me sing all the time. I'm so sorry if it disturbs you. I'm an actor. If you could go vote so that like I can not be singing 24-7, that would be great. Thank you. Um, and I actually made some friends in the building because of that. So that was great. (laughs) And you know, I went, and so I have a friend from college who's in Chicago. She's still in it right now. Mary Claire King, she's phenomenal. Um, so I like went to see her in the show and, and like, I just immersed myself in it again. Then (laughs) I remember something kicked in at the very end where I was like, you know, how to market yourself go ask people to do it. And so like the last 48 hours, I just like hustled and asked everybody I knew and just started sending messages to everybody on Facebook being like, hey, it would really mean a lot if you would go vote. And I did not end up getting into the final three, which at the time, you know, it was really, there were a lot of things that I learned from it. One being that I really had to stay grounded myself Uh, above everything else. Like my family was calling me from home being like, yeah, your stepsisters, I have three younger stepsisters are like going around the whole high school being like, my sister's in this thing. And people are like, wait a minute, that's your sister. And they're like, yeah, that's my sister. Like go vote for her. So it was really cool to see and to have like a tangible thing of all the people who support you. That you know, we don't think about it. We don't see it every day, especially when you don't, you aren't there with them all the time. It was just really remarkable to see How many people really were rooting for me? And then I would say the hard part was I knew dates of things of when certain things were going to happen for that. Like they were going to fly everybody to New York if you weren't already here and have like a rehearsal week. And I knew when they were going to let us know if that was happening and the time passed and I couldn't say anything quite yet because they hadn't given us the official clear. But (laughs) I'm so sneaky sometimes. Um, (laughs) I leveraged this like none other. As soon as I could tell people, I emailed all the agents that I wanted to work with and was like, this is happening. I have a one in 10 chance of playing Roxy Hart on Broadway. And I am looking for an agent who's gonna help me in this next level of my career. Um, And so in that week where I knew I didn't get it, but it hadn't been announced yet, I was still in agent meetings. And they were like, so do you know anything? And I was like, no. (laughs) I was like, I don't know anything. but i ended up um the agent i am signed with now who's just absolutely wonderful she said to me she was like you know the thing is even if you don't get it it doesn't matter she was like this is a sign that it's gonna happen and i was like you're the type of person i want to work with like someone who doesn't care if i'm gonna make them big money right now but who believes in me right so then you know everybody started messaging me when it was like a few weeks out and being like hey do you know anything do you know anything um and i i couldn't say anything <laughs> so i was like no and i i remember doing a post i was wearing a green hat and i was like you know for me this is what we deal with as performers literally every day of like i was in final callbacks for this big thing and i don't know and that has to be okay um and i have to have a life outside of that and so i think it was also a wonderful opportunity for the people in my life to really understand on a different level like what we experience regularly of having to release our hopes and be Mm -hmm. like you know what it's going to happen have faith in what we do and it's most likely not going to happen in the way that you think it will um and then you know when It wasn't when the final three were announced there was just so much support and like outpouring of love i still have a voice memo on my um phone from my acting coach being like you know today just seemed like a day where you might need a little extra support and i just want to remind you that like i believe in you and it's gonna happen and it's just a matter of time and this wasn't your time yet and i was like yeah fully believe that there were just so many wonderful things that happened for me because of that for me personally a reminding myself and recognizing, like, if it's meant for you, it's going to happen. And like, if you don't have the energy to go to the audition that day, there's a time to push through and there's a time to let yourself not show up if you need to. Um And that like, when it really matters and when it feels right, you know.
0: Absolutely. So,
1: yeah. So that's my search for Axie story. I got an agent and then the pandemic happened. So like me and my agent were like, well, okay, we'll just i don't know the tv felt stuff and then like move on i don't know
0: no but that sounds like such a wholesome experience as well and it's not like just one thing you've learned you've learned so many things and things just came from it that you wouldn't have expected which is I've, beautiful
1: yeah absolutely and especially coming off of a period where i really had to put trust in the fact that it was okay to take a break mm. like that was truly the best thing that could have been given to me is like here's this huge thing for your career and we're gonna just remind you that it's safe to take care of yourself when you need to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we're slowly going to go into your lovely energy studio, your baby. I know like one thing that you have been taught, I know this term, I'm just going to bring it in here because you just said it a few times, but like, I think I saw it from you the first time, the creative burnout thing. Yes. That term. And that is something I think is really interesting and really important for people to hear out there because I definitely was like, I had a similar period to you and I was like, what is, it? and then I saw those two words and I was like, that sounds very familiar. And like looking into everything that you were posting about and what you were talking about, I was like, wow, we all go through this, I think at some point. And it is about that pushing through an audition or saying it's okay not to go through this today or not to sing today. And I think that would be very interesting to touch upon as well. Yeah. So I,
1: okay, I'm going to get like super nerdy right now. Um. So I, I practice both shamanic energy healing, which is like the spiritual super woo woo. Like when, when I go on dates with people, I'm like, okay, where are you on the woo woo spectrum? Because I can guarantee you I'm like way far over here. And then I also do somatic work. So somatic work is I believe they are both in service of regulating and strengthening the nervous system. One is from the spiritual world where we can tap into like past lives and inherit like ancestral trauma that we know we inherit. Like it's scientifically shown that we inherit trauma. The other side of it is, so the somatic work is regulating and strengthening the nervous system from this life, from this world. And so I like to do a hybrid of both. So speaking specifically about creative burnout, our nervous system, this is like the the dumbed down five cent version of explaining the nervous system we have different for anybody curious about this this is polyvagal theory you can look it up online. but we have different areas of our nervous system that that fire and work at different times and ideally a regulated nervous system can easily go between the three and just like lightly tap into everything um For anybody who sings, it's kind of like being able to go from your chest voice to a mix to a head voice with ease, right? Like it's something we have to strengthen, we have to practice, but your body wants to do it with ease. It's just all these things that we put on it to try and create sound and trying to do different things that have made it difficult, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing with the nervous system. And there is, um, so when the sympathetic nervous system charges, which is, the part of your nervous system that controls like your limbs and not like your vital organs, but your fight or flight response, anything that can help you with that. When it is lightly charged, it taps in motivation. That's when your body's like, oh, I'm safe to explore creative things, let's go do this. When it is hypercharged, it's fight or flight, and that's a trauma response. And I think so many of us as artists live in a place where we start I mean, a lot of us have started young. And so it's like this motivated place where we're like, yeah, this is so awesome. This is like, I really want to do this. And then the hustle mentality of just the world, like it's not even just our industry. It's um, I know somebody who said that the greatest act of rebellion against the patriarchy is to regulate your nervous system. And I was like, it's so true Um, that. You know, when we start to get into that hustle mentality of I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to do this, we stop listening to that self-regulator, and we we tip ourselves into a trauma response. And when you spend so much time in that fight or flight, where your body is giving everything that it can, you then can tip into freeze, which is the dorsal vagal complex, which also regulates rest. And so there's this fine line, and there's this pattern that I see so frequently in performers, uh, and it can be like a quick fire thing where it can happen in a week or it can happen in years, right? So like for me, it happened in years and I would have those weeks where I would need to to just like completely freeze out. But, you know, I spent so much time in that highly anxious, hyper-focused, incredibly driven state, not realizing that it was a trauma response. And I always make sure to say like trauma is not just like a big car accident or like being abused trauma is the disorientation of your understanding of the world or of your nervous system not understanding i am safe where i am right now and so when we self-impose all these things about like i will never be an artist if i don't do x y and z and i will never make it if i don't get this job that's self-induced trauma where essentially using fear to motivate ourselves which gets us stuck in this anxiety cycle which feels good because we're like oh I can focus I can get so many things done and then we flip into freeze because our body says I can't do this anymore and I have no other way to stop you because you don't know how to regulate yourself or you aren't taking the time to really come down from it. So you know I tell people all the time it's not I think we blame ourselves and think that we're broken because we can't push through. And I'm like, no, you're actually so healthy because you can't push through. Like your body is doing the things it's made to do. And we just have to retrain it and restrengthen your nervous system so that you aren't getting stuck in that freeze state or that fight or flight state. And you can easefully be like, oh, you know what? I'm feeling motivated. And now I can come home and I don't need a glass of wine and five hours to wind down, I can regulate my nervous system. Nothing against a glass of wine, by the way. I love a glass of wine. Um, But we use things to help ourselves rest, right? I think this is a big reason why um, alcohol is such a big thing after shows, because Mm -hmm. we're so high on that adrenaline. How do we bring ourselves down? We need an, an adrenaline suppressant. Alcohol will do that for us. And so like we find these subtle ways to try and regulate the nervous system. But we're not really doing it in maybe the healthiest way sometimes. Some people do, some people haven't figured it out and I'm like, good for you. But yeah, so that's that's how I feel about creative burnout. And like, it really is a huge part of it. And this is part of what I teach is like, you have to find ways to develop self-trust and tune into your intuition to know like, it is safe for me to not show up for this audition or it is safe for me to turn down this thing because I know it's not right for me that that gut feeling is enough yeah to have the like oh you know my sister's getting married on that day like if you get the gut feeling that you shouldn't be somewhere trust it there's a reason
0: yeah no absolutely and super interesting and the inside of that is so vital and i think people need to hear that more for sure so if we go back to the energy studio Mm -hmm. tell us what it is what we can find there how you started it and essentially also what courses you do
1: yes so it started because actually right around the search for roxy i officially started like taking classes to do shamanic healing i i mean i'd had really amazing mentors before that, but I was like, I would feel good if I like signed up for a class and paid for it because that's, you know, the way that we're taught to educate ourselves. Um, And so I took some classes and then um, I had been practicing just with friends and saying like, hey, if you want to do a healing, just let me know. And then the pandemic hit and there was this one week in late April when we started to realize like oh this isn't going away when like three or four of my friends reached out and they were like I'm having a really hard time my energy feels super off could we do an energy healing and I was like yeah totally um and I've been thinking about starting to offer energy healing for years like I've been really thinking about starting that business for years and I remember doing this healing for a friend and then uh, meditating afterwards to just like recenter myself and my entire body was just saying it's time and I was like okay I'm gonna listen to that so I started offering donation based energy healing sessions and um, I did like an online certification to be a life coach and I've always been pretty entrepreneurial and started projects and stuff before but this was the first time that I really looked into and and also had the resources to figure out, like, how do I make an LLC? How do I open a business bank account? How do I make this like a viable thing? I was doing one on one coachings. I was doing moon circles at the beginning, just all of these things. I really just like threw the spaghetti at the wall and was like, whatever sticks is great. And then about a year in to running the business, I had already started having, I guess it wasn't quite a year, it was like six months in, I'd started having this idea of, what if i started helping performers specifically learn how to do the work that i did before the search for roxy happened like that deep self-work and um, we call it shadow work like how do we do the shadow work and honor the parts of ourselves that we might be scared of or that we might have shame around because those are the parts that make us authentic humans right and um, i really think that our art becomes so much richer when we are comfortable acknowledging all parts of ourselves and and also honoring that there are things that we don't necessarily see that might be blocking our careers. Like I cannot tell you how much ancestral healing I do around being a performer. So I started designing this course called Unblock Your Creative Career that uh, is a nine-week course and it walks you through how to do that deep exploration work without dysregulating your nervous system so like how do we strengthen the nervous system and that balance while we're doing this work instead of just like tossing ourselves into (laughs) drama, um and then doing the deep excavation work looking at common patterns and then making a game plan for living an authentically creative life instead of doing what everybody else wants you to do doing what feels aligned to you and is aligned with your boundaries and your values and your priorities in the world because you know it's no longer in alignment with my values boundaries or priorities to go do certain shows for certain amounts of money and be in certain places of the world like that's not I if I do that I am not going to be happy because I am dishonoring what I need right? I'm doing yeah. it for something else, really. Honestly, it's like a form of manipulation of like, how can I make people think that I am a successful actor by taking whatever job I can get, even though I know the job isn't right for me. So I'm betraying myself to try and get other people to think a certain way about me. And that's just not worth it. So we've, we've done that course, I believe four times now. And then I... I had a course, the very first course that I taught was all about like, how do you tune into your intuition? How do you like start working with your own energetic field and do, how do you self-heal, do self-healing work? And so we're going to do a self-healing through shamanic practices course next. This shamanic class is going to be really great. And it's, it's going to be six weeks and it's going to include like by proxy healing work. So, um, So instead of doing like one-on-one sessions, it's going to be like a more of a general work that's like commonly needed for people. And I, my hope for it is to give people the tools to not need to set up sessions with me, which like is a terrible marketing plan or business plan. But, um, but like I was fully booked in February for my healing schedule. And I'm like, I don't have the capacity to help the amount of people that are coming to us now, which is phenomenal. Um, but wanting to just give people more access. And I always say, I love giving words to the things that people are already experiencing and just don't know how to describe yet. So that's what's coming up next. But we will be coming back to Unblocking either this summer or in the fall, the latest, it'll be the fall for sure. Because that course just like so much magic happens in it. And like, yeah, it's, it's just a really rewarding course. So That'll be coming back very soon. I just, we're just taking a quick detour to learn more about shamanic work and how to do the self-healing because I think that's an equally important thing.
0: Yeah, and they both have their importance. And I think one thing that you said that is so important as well is about that, like embracing the individuality because like in our industry, I think a lot of the times it's so easy to fall into like, This is what I'm supposed to look like now. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And this is the only way I'm going to be successful. But then success is like unique to everyone. And if we don't tune in with ourselves and know our values, we're not going to be successful for ourselves. And I think we forget that. And it's so easy to forget with all the glitz and glam around everything. So it's so important to have heard that today as well.
1: Yeah, I am. I'm feeling called to interject that last night I had a beautiful opportunity. A friend of mine did his first solo concert in New York and I was sitting at this table with all these artists who, you know, I wasn't really close to them in the past, but we were all just sitting at this table afterwards and I looked around and I was like, this is such a lovely and unique experience to be sitting at a table with a bunch of artists who genuinely just want to create things Mm -hmm. and are not afraid. I was like, wow, all of us are, like we honored what we want in our creative experience and we have found ways to support ourselves that fuel us and give us joy. And there was such freedom and ease in that space. And I was like, I don't know, that i one that i could have been present in that situation a few years ago even but also like what a gift to be Mm -hmm. able to feel comfortable and authentic in yourself and then to sit with other people who also have found that and to just be artists at ease and like not fearful that's my hope for honestly everybody i'm like if we could all just like get to a place where we recognize that like, we all have something really special to give. We are all here for a reason. We're all doing this for a reason. And we shouldn't all look the same and we shouldn't all sound the same. And we shouldn't all tell the same stories because we don't have the same stories to tell. And like, what a special gift to have these u- uniquenesses. Is that a word? I don't know, I'm, I'm claiming it as a word. Yes. These uniquenesses <laughs> and to be able to honor them and not fear that they're wrong,
0: Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And we grow as humans. So naturally, our art and experiences are going to grow with us. And that really nicely links into the next section, because I was going to ask you, um, what would you like to see more or less of in our industry?
1: Oh, I would like to see more. Wow. Um, It's a big question. (laughs) um, I want to see less fear. I'll start there. I want to see less fear. I think that the It's just, like, not trendy
0: anymore, Um,
1: (laughs) but, like, in all seriousness, the, the, like, scarcity mentality of, like, there's not enough room for all of us and, like, the competitive nature, like, it doesn't serve anybody, and Mm -hmm. I'm really wanting to see more of just, like, supporting each other and honoring that, you know, even if somebody cracked in the audition room, Idina Menzel cracked in her Alphaba audition. Like Julia Marnie tells this fierce story about how she was, uh, I'm going to tell Julia Marnie's story. Uh, <laughs> Julia Marnie talks about how, I heard. I think it was on a podcast once, She her audition for Alphaba was right after Idina. And Idina cracked and goes, she yells the F-bomb, um, and then says, I'm going to do that again. And then nailed it. And Julia said, I didn't get it. She knew going into the room, she was like, that was it. She got it. And so like honoring that even when you mess up, People will see what they need to see if you can show up authentically as yourself. And Mm. so I really hope that there is actually two things, more authenticity and like supporting people finding safety in their authenticity and also normalization of having passions outside of your career. 100%. Yeah. I was somebody who was like, why would I ever want to pursue something outside of my creative career? And here I am. Um, (laughs) And... I think part of the reason I didn't want to do anything else for so long was because I was afraid people would think I wasn't passionate or I didn't care enough. Um, My acting coach said something so great the other day. He said, when people don't know how to teach or how to actually help you through a problem, they say that your problem is that you don't want it enough. And he was like, that's not true. It doesn't matter how much you want it. You can want something incredibly like with your whole being and it cannot happen, right? It's not about a matter of wanting. And I think if we, I guess this goes with fear, if we start to accept that people are people and full humans and it's okay to have lives and even careers outside of performing, I think it would instill a lot more safety in our sense of being, very quick tangent. So if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I talk about this in my courses too, Mm -hmm. base needs so the things that keep us alive are sleep uh well rest food shelter safety right like these are the things at the base that we cannot survive without them as humans at the top is self-actualization which is creativity art fulfillment I think artists get the two confused a lot because there's this trope of the starving artist, right? Mm -hmm. So like, it's okay, I'm going to make it on Broadway or I'm going to, you know, book a big show and then everything, like all my base needs will be taken care of. And I always ask people in my course, have you ever been significantly underpaid or not in a place where your finances are secure and creatively fulfilled? And there's always this moment where people are like, oh, yeah. (laughs) no actually and I think that if we were more comfortable accepting that it's okay to be passionate about something else and that we as artists need to have our base needs met I think would all be better artists and just better people in general
0: yeah no and it would like put like a little blanket of harmony in our industry because I think as you said it would eliminate competition because well to a certain degree because (laughs) you're like okay we all have our side businesses we all are okay, we're, we're fine. And this is what we're doing to have like the cherry on top. And we're passionate about this too. So yeah. it does all make sense. And that was beautifully put together. I've never heard it that way. So, yeah. and in your opinion, what unites us as creatives?
1: Oh my gosh. What a great question. Um, what unites us as creatives? I think our, our fascination with the world Right. Like being creative is all about exploration. Right. Like, I don't know any creative person who is like, I do this because I like learning counts. Like, yeah. I've never met somebody who's like, I like the rigidity of ballet. Like I think it's about exploration of humanity and of um like pushing the limits of you know, what are people comfortable with? Or What can I do to make somebody think differently? Or So at the end of Unblocking, we talk about your aligning principle of life, of how do you find the thing that aligns everything that you do so that when you are doing a side job, it doesn't feel like a side job, it just feels like it's fueling the life that you're creating. And time and time and time again, it always comes back to, I want to be able to explore with ease. Or I want to be able to help people understand the world in a different way. And in order to help others understand the world in a different way, we have to understand the world in a different way. So I think the thing that unites artists is that sense of curiosity and that desire to create change. And I mean, we've heard it 10,000 times. Like Your job as an artist is to change the energy in the room, right? And I think my job as a healer is also to change the energy in your body. And how do you change the energy in the room? You carry it, right? So, yeah. yeah.
0: That's beautifully linked though, as well (laughs) with the healing and the artist.
1: It's all the same, it's all the same thing. Hmm.
0: And this is my ultimate favorite question of the podcast. So, what makes you unique as a creative?
1: Oh my goodness, I'm woo-woo as all get out. Um, (laughs) I am incredibly sensorially oriented. Uh huh. Um, and I'm also very visual. So, like in in shamanic work, we have different senses that are dominant and mine is sight. And so, I uh, I really love putting puzzle pieces together and understanding and being able to see the big picture and being like, oh, you know, Roxy says this in this moment because of this thing from Act One. That I mean, I've done Chicago. I've performed it over fifty times, and I still there are still jokes and things that I'm like, oh. That's what that is. Okay, cool. (laughs) Uh, It's just such a great show. But um, my attention to detail and my love of figuring out those details and like, how do we honor them? How do we honor the little nuances that make people fascinating? And I also say, one of my superpowers as an actor is to make you love the villain. One of my favorite things to do in theater is to make you question yourself, because I think we all have... I mean, it goes into shadow work, right? Like we all have parts of ourselves that we try and hide and we're like, no, I'm a saint, I'm an angel. But like, absolutely not. I am not a saint, I'm not gonna pretend that. Like I've done stuff in my life that's not saintly. And um, and I think allowing people to see themselves in the villain is like one of my favorite things to do. And to like get people to leave, like leave Chicago being like the musical, not the state um, or the city, being like, I was on the villain's side. Right? I think that's just, like, so cool. And I think it adds a layer to humanity of, like, why, I don't know, I think everybody does everything that they do as a means of survival. Right? Like, we're all just trying to survive. And some people have different baggage. And some people have skewed trauma responses. And I think even in playing villains, we can find humanity. And that is what I really like doing.
0: I think it's super fun to confuse people in that way. <laughs> <laughs> yes to that. That is fun. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, do you have any last comments or advice that you want to give to the listeners before we say goodbye today on the podcast? Yes.
1: Um, thank you for listening to my life story. Thank you for <laughs> still being here. Um, and uh, my, I mean, my advice is always honor your authenticity. Like the things that make you that you might think make you weird are what make you beautiful. And you know, if if you're a performer and you're trying to uh, be the pristine, perfect cookie cutter one, think about why. Like, why are you trying to be that? Um, not that there's anything wrong with it, but but checking in about that and honoring your imperfections because they're beautiful. And they're, I mean, especially on Broadway right now, we're seeing that that's what people want to see. I, I really think that the age of the perfect influencer is coming to an end, or I kind of hope it is. Um, Thank God. <laughs> yeah, like we want authentic humans and authentic humans are messy and have shame and have flaws and when we can embrace our own flaws and and our shadow parts and the things that we aren't proud of and our own humanity it's just so beautiful and it allows others to do that for themselves too so yeah someone said to me once that when I show up in my authenticity it allows others to show up in their authenticity and so I don't know if that was one thing or like five things but i'll leave it at that that's why i'll take the
0: five (laughs) no but those are beautiful words to round off with and thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and your beautiful energy with us today
1: goodness anytime thank you so much for having me this is so lovely
0: what an incredibly inspiring episode I personally love Madeline's energy and her mindset and the importance she gives to taking care of yourself in order to achieve your goals. If you want to learn more about Madeline and maybe even want to sign up for one of her courses and join the Energy Studio community, make sure to follow her social media handles, which are linked in the bio of this episode and on the Artist Avenue Instagram page. The next episode is coming your way in two weeks. Till then, keep shining bright, be brave and follow your dreams. Lots of love, Christiana.